Constantinople has fallen, and all across Europe, ancient vampires known as Methuselah rise to claim vast territories as their own. This is the War of Princes, where the political maneuvering of old stand side by side with the armies of ghouls and canines clashing in the night. But vampires are not the only ones making this land their own. In the wild places, the Guru have their cairns. Mages have ancient sites of power for magic. The Shadow Inquisition has risen to eradicate the enemies of God. And the enigmatic Fae have their own plans. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to the second episode of Season 2 of the World of Dark Ages podcast, where we go through the Dark Ages line of books and talk about each of them, both in terms of history and as gaming books. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, last time we kicked off Season 2 with a look at the first third of the Dark Ages Vampire core book, and now we take a look at the next three chapters, which encompass character creation and the various things that make up a character, such as attributes, abilities, disciplines, and the like. But as always, we start with the art. Now, last time we weren't terribly impressed with the art. These three chapters have less art, but Peter, has it gotten any better? Well, yes and no, I'd actually say. Uh, there, there are a few pictures that are quite terrible uh, in in ways of, of quality and, and general looks. Uh, but overall, the, the, the quality uh, and, and look of, of most of the others, I think, is, is quite nice. We, we have um, the, the first kind of, of full, uh, full page illustration of a character. Uh, for some reason, it, I, I think it's supposed to, it, well, it's a Tremere character, actually, because it's, he, uh, it belongs to the kind of uh, to, to one of those uh, introductory. Uh, in uh, in game stories, uh, and for some reason he's carrying a dagger uh, in a chain around his uh, his neck. It's a very modern looking chain, uh, and I don't think he would actually be able to use his dagger because uh, the the chain isn't long enough. But uh, so that's that's a bit of a weird picture, even though it uh, it the the quality of it is is quite nice. But we do have some nice uh, pictures of of people in. Uh, in weapon and armor uh, that are are actually quite suitable. They have some uh, some nice looking chain mail uh, and and helmets that actually make sense. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm I'm thinking of page one hundred and thirty three where you have yeah. uh, a guy with just a perfect spear kite shield. You can see he's carrying a sword as a sidearm, mm. uh, and and his spear as his main weapon, and yeah, his mail and everything. I when I saw that picture. I just smiled because I think with all the books we've gone through, I think this is perhaps the most historically accurate picture when you look at things like weapons and armor. Yeah, yeah, it is. The The only uh, thing of about the weapons and armor that is, is a bit weird is that he's, uh, he's wearing his sword... Uh, in uh, in a kind of a baldric across his shoulder, oh, yeah, and that that, that wasn't really the style at this time. No. But but the actual uh, <laughs> like if if you would have used the exact same leather belt, but to to keep his shield up, that would be yeah. a, a lot more accurate. So so the the style actually detailed the the buckle of it quite nicely. But uh, and and it the sword has a nice disc pommel. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a really nice picture, uh, on, except for just a small detail, and and he has these weird leg wraps uh, that oh, uh, that yeah, is those. kind of a yeah they, they kind of crisscross 
um, crisscrossed leg wraps that there is a bit of a fantasy trope. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's a really nice picture, uh, and there there are also uh, other similar pictures with with people are actually wearing uh, chainmail hoods uh, that actually cover the face a bit as they're supposed to do. Uh, but but there are also some other pictures of on page one hundred and forty four, for example, where you have uh, a couple of of uh, uh, women brawling, and they look more like <laughs> something from. The, the kind of outfits they have look more like something from uh, from from a German uh, Oktoberfest rather than anything actually medieval. Uh, and there is um, there is also later on there is you you have a few of the kind of generic gothy looking cultist people on on page one hundred and fifty two. Uh, oh yeah that one yes <laughs> yeah and and then we have let me just see um uh, which page it is where uh that might be in a later chapter actually but uh let's see if it actually is in this part of the book that we're actually supposed to cover or uh, if i've just <laughs> gone too far um, well while you're looking for that one i can uh, i can mention one picture that i i rather like was uh, is on page 140 where you have just a woman standing uh, in a kitchen and um the uh, um the sort of uh, uh, style of the kitchen is very very good it's brick but at this point um in northern europe and especially in North German cities, they were starting to actually introduce laws that said that you had to have brick kitchens mm. or brick fireplaces to uh, to limit the chance of the city burning down. Um, in 1230, Lübeck, if I recall correctly, had just burned down and was being rebuilt all in brick. And it, it really looks like the kind of kitchens I've seen when I've been in these very, very old buildings or when I've seen recreations of medieval uh, kitchens, so I, I really like that one as well. And you have a cat lying there on the uh, warmest place in the house, which <laughs> obviously is also very accurate. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the picture I was looking for, it's uh, let me see. You have on page uh, oh, where did it go now? Yeah, on page two hundred and seven, you have it's it's not really historically inaccurate or anything, but it's it's just a very weird looking humanoid bat-like creature uh, and it has a very strange um, tongue just shooting out of its mouth and then of course at the very end of, of uh, chapter 6 you also have uh, your your favorite uh, D&D monk Bruja shows up again so um, so yeah th- those two aren't really <laughs> not really that good or historically accurate Um but but yeah, overall I actually like the the pictures in uh, in this chapter. You have uh, at some point someone wearing wielding a flail or kind of this ball and chain uh, flails that didn't really exist at all as far as we can tell. But uh, but yeah, overall it's uh, I, I do like the uh, the artwork in this section. It's it's nothing really too over the top when it's not supposed to be. Uh, and uh, the the details when it comes to things like uh, like weapon and armor and, and clothing is is quite nice. 
Yes. So uh, we start out with chapter four, which gives us the rules of the game. And if you're listening to this podcast, well, you probably know how this goes. The only difference from the previous edition is how multiple actions are handled. Um, it makes multiple actions a little more possible when taking just one or two extra actions, which, you know, seem fine. I don't really have anything more to say. At heart, the storyteller system is pretty simple, and this just you know explains the basics. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's uh, it it's a good way of explaining it, in, and it makes uh, like it, it's an it, it's actually quite a simple system when when you think about it. And as you said, uh, the the splitting of actions uh, is is quite nice, or it's it's quite simplified. Uh, I also like that they. They give you examples for when you don't have to roll. Like if you're good enough at doing stuff, then you don't have to roll if you don't want to. Uh, and I I also do like that uh, they they have uh, an an example of of when you uh, like if you get into arguments or or like would I be able to do this or not? They they actually throw in the line, "Don't be a jerk about it." Uh, yeah. <laughs> just as a reminder, uh, and that they mentioned that it's it's a cooperative game, um, which which is quite nice. Um, one one thing I'm actually wondering, uh, since you have a lot more experience storytelling this game than I have, and and it's the kind of uh, it's the idea of of trying again when you fail, uh, and and. The interesting thing is that they use picking a lock, for example, uh, and they use some other examples as well. But um, I've, I've been playing a bit of D and D Fifth Edition lately, and and there you kind of basically have uh, because in in this uh, in in Vampire you're allowed to try again. It's like just because you failed picking the lock the first time doesn't mean that you can never pick it again. But in uh, in D and D they they actually kind of uh, discourage you from doing that so it's not like oh I, I tried to pick the lock I fail I'm just gonna try it again and then you do it until you succeed so uh, but then then they kind of give you the advice that well just because you fail on the roll doesn't mean that you failed on uh, on picking the lock but it perhaps it didn't have the wanted consequence, uh, consequences so perhaps you did Pick the lock, but it took you longer time than than you wanted it wanted it to, or perhaps you broke the lock so that it's going to be obvious that someone has broken into the place or or anything like that. So so I was just wondering uh, how how would you deal with with situations like that to to prevent just the players rolling until they succeed? Do you have like other approaches to to see how you can? Uh, keep the the story going so that it just everything doesn't just come to a standstill because they can't open a door that they need to get into well i think this is this is something that touches on um on a thing for really all role-playing games is that never ever design a situation where a failed role means that the game comes to Mm. a stop like don't don't ever create a situation where you cannot progress the game uh, unless players succeed at a role, because you can always fail. In the case of, of picking a lock, I would say that if you fail to pick the lock, then obviously there's always uh, the opportunity, uh, the option to break down the door. But that's going to have much more consequences yeah. than being able to pick the lock. Um, 
It really depends on the situation. Obviously, in combat, if you fail to hit uh, your opponent in one round, you can try again the next yeah. round. In, in picking a lock, I would say that if you fail, then you realize, okay, this lock is too difficult for me. Whereas in other situations, let's say that, okay, you have to climb a cliff wall and you fail on your first roll then i would say well you can try again because you can find another section and see if that's easier mm, you yeah. may want to mm. increase the difficulty or require more successes or something like that but as long as the situation can change an opponent moving or perhaps someone giving you a bit of advice or something like that you can roll again you may want to um to change the um uh, yeah, add something to the difficulty, mm. but I would say it's it's basically I would take it on a case by case basis. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Basically, going off the experience that I have running it, but um, it, when it comes to this whole, you know, don't don't design a situation where a failed role is going to stop the game. Um, I I will refer to. Uh, a, a somewhat I think obscure game called the ESO Terrorists, which is based on, I think it's called the gumshoe system, um, where they specifically have um, some discussion on how to design games uh, scenarios where the um, where, where you make sure that you can progress no matter what. But yeah, it's it's obviously, it, it becomes a bit of a, a, an interesting situation because you can't just have the, the case where players succeed all the time yeah, because if that uh, yeah, happens of course, yeah. then there's no challenge but on the other hand you want the game to progress you can't just go well you you failed at doing this so you can't finish the rest of the game yeah um, exactly let's anyone for pizza yeah exactly <laughs> it's, that's, uh, that's not going to work either but, but... I'd actually <clears throat> I'd like to to uh, hear from our listeners mm. um, their sort of perspective on this because it is I think one of the paradoxes of role playing uh, games is that you need to create a situation where there are there are consequences for failure, but where you can move forward, you because you can't control where where the dice are gonna land. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good thing. Uh, good thing to ask our listeners. So if if you have any ideas or examples from when you've been playing uh, and and the storyteller has handled it really well, uh, write it in in the Facebook group. Uh, yeah. I, I, I also, as a side note, as I'm flipping through these pages, uh, a note on the artwork. Uh, on on page uh, 117, there's uh, there's actually a picture that makes me really happy because it's a guy uh, who's looking for something in uh, in a dark forest and he's holding a torch and he's actually holding it way above his head so that he he would actually illuminate. He, he wouldn't get the light straight in his face and it would actually illuminate the things uh, or the, the area around him so that he can look for whatever it is he's looking for. So excellent. Good good job uh, on, on that one, actually. Yeah. So we move on to chapter five now, and that is um, character and traits, going over character creation and explaining all traits that are uncovered in other chapters, such as clan, road, and disciplines. Mm. We have a pretty good walkthrough of character creation with some really nice things to consider, like why your sire actually chose you. This is this is one of the things that I think sometimes get lost because people, players get hung up on, they have this very specific concept and you sometimes end up going, yeah, but, but why exactly 
did your sire choose you? It's especially if, if it's a sire that already exists because otherwise you can just create the sire. But sometimes you get into the situation where you think, hang on, wh why exactly did your sire choose you? I'm reminded of a quote from Buffy the Vampire Slayer where uh, I think it's Spike who says to someone, turn you into a, a vampire. I've known you for five minutes and already I can't stand you. Yeah. I don't fancy having you around for all eternity. Yeah. So, so that's that's a really good suggestion. Uh, they, there's also a focus on making a Kateri, which you didn't have in the first edition of the core book. And there are suggestions as to why characters might join together. Once again, a really nice touch, because obviously you want a group that is united. And then we get a section on thinking medieval. It's only half a page, but I think it, this does a really good job of letting you know that a character from 1230 is going to have quite a different mindset than one from 2021 or, you know, whenever this book came out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I really like this kind of, of um, questions, basically, that you need to ask yourself to, to bring your character to life and then kill them off so that they can become a <laughs> vampire. Uh, the, there are also some some small things in uh, that, uh, for for example, they uh, in in the section on on, on thinking medieval, uh, where, uh, where where they they talk about uh, some of the heresies that's uh, that are around at this time and uh, and again remember that it's it's not as black and white as they they kind of um, portray it here that uh, that the uh, the cathars and the bogomils are completely different from uh, from say the catholics or the, the eastern orthodox christians uh, most likely for uh, the the everyday person uh, being a cathar or or a catholic probably isn't that different in in your everyday life it it might have uh, it, it might affect the the holidays that you celebrate or or the kind of diet you have uh, but in in general uh, like your your average peasant isn't going to really tell the difference uh, until there's a crusade coming to to kick your ass because you happen to worship god in in slightly the wrong way because you're you're still a Christian, and and though there are differences, like the the people who care the most about uh, the differences uh, weren't really the the, the normal people, uh, which again uh, is is something that if if you think it's an interesting thing to play on, uh, then then you can take advantage of this and and kind of use it to like play a character who actually has a bunch of dots in in theology. Uh, or, or perhaps academics, philosophy, and and kind of like, well, there is a difference between what we think and what they think, and and I'm gonna tell you all about it, and uh, <laughs> and and that's gonna be what we're doing for the next couple of hours. Uh, so um, so yeah, that's I, I really like that uh, that um, that that kind of section as well. Uh, I something that did kind of bug me though was that. Um, as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, between the chapters, there's like a, a one-page uh, spread uh, with you have an illustration of a character and then you have a kind of in-character uh, short story about what happens to that one. And the introduction, uh, the, the short story for this one is 
uh, about uh, Fatima, the, the um, Bada Hakim uh, assassin, uh, and she's uh, she's in Toledo, and it's mentioned that she's described as a fishmonger, and. I'm not saying that there aren't any fishmongers in in uh, 13th century Toledo, uh, but that city is kind of smack dab in the middle of what is now um, Spain. So it's it's kind of <laughs> very far from any coast. There should surely are rivers and such around. But so, but I I just find it a weird choice of uh, of disguise when if if you're gonna sneak about. Uh, kind of low key. There are other merchants that you could probably have, have chosen that would have <laughs> yeah. fit better. Uh, but but yeah, uh, back to the actual chapter that we're reviewing. Uh, I, I really like it. Uh, the it, the uh, lots of good overviews and uh, again the questions on on how you do uh, like the basic ones. Uh, they have a small. Uh, kind of sidebar that mentioned that you don't have to know everything about your character. You can just add that later, but start out yeah. with the basic questions and work from there and work with your storyteller. Um, I also, again, like you mentioned, uh, like the fact that uh, you focus on, on your coterie uh, so that kind of enhancing the uh, and almost enforcing the kind of idea that that you're supposed to be working together uh, and that there are uh, many different reasons why, for example, uh, Knights from many different clans uh, would actually form a coterie. So they, they mentioned a kind of um, thing that that uh, noble uh, people, noble mortals did, and, and that is basically you you send your, your children to uh, be raised by, by other noble families uh, in a way to... Uh, it could work both as, as kind of a hostage situation. You have my kid, I have yours, uh, or or just as um, uh, as an alliance thing uh, to to kind of make sure that well, if if our kids hang out with each other, or or if I have your kid, then then we can uh, we can be good friends. Um, for example, Vlad Tepes, uh, Dracula. He was actually one of these hostage children, and he grew up in the uh, in the Ottoman court, uh, where where he <laughs> learned quite a few nasty things uh, regarding torture and so, yeah. so uh, it wasn't really and, that and uncommon. And developed quite for... a hatred for the Turks. Yeah, exactly. And and he uh, so it wasn't an, an uncommon thing, and it it went on for centuries, stuff like that. So yeah, and and also one really really great thing here is what they call Twilight Vistas, which is two pages on suggestions for backgrounds complete with what clans roads and so on would be good for things like uh, a crusader um, a worldly uh, monk or nun a pious uh, monk or nun yeah while i wouldn't use them myself i think they're really great jumping off points for people who might not know exactly what they want to play basically people who are like yeah sure i'll i'll happily play in a dark ages chronicle but I'm, I'm, I don't really have that many ideas and maybe even, you know, I my knowledge of this time period isn't that great. Uh, so so just ha- let them have a look at these. They're very broad. They're very uh, catch-all. And I think they're, they're really great for either novice players or players who might not have 
that much of an idea of what they really want or or know that much about the setting so these were were actually really really great in my opinion yeah i agree uh, it, they're kind of similar to the concept characters that we've had in uh, in the uh, sanguinous libelli books uh, but they aren't necessarily clan specific so i i did like the inclusion of those uh, especially like you mentioned the the uh, the worldly, not so uh, actually religious monk, uh, and then the virtuous monk uh, or nun uh, should be mentioned that both of them could be a monk or nun, uh, which which actually ties into um, kind of the um, y- you you can you can see in literature and especially later on when you go get both uh, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and the stories of Robin Hood where you ha- have this kind of um, the the folksy tales of uh, of of religious people is, and and usually it's higher up it's bishops or or, or priests that yeah, don't yeah, but anyone anyone yeah. with power yeah exactly uh, and and they don't really live the whole pious life as they should be and and they kind of uh, take the tithes tides for themselves and stuff like that and then you contrast it to the more friar tuck kind of uh, characters that are actually nice and. Uh, and, and behave as a religious uh, religious per- person should. Um, I al- also really do like that they threw in uh, the grave digger uh, as a concept uh, because I, I really like when you have these kind of of dirty, shabby, kind of almost outcast characters uh, in in the Warhammer role playing game. You have the rat catcher, uh, oh, which yes, is the which is also one of my my favorite kind of character concepts. That's you just this dirty person who works where no one else uh, wants to work, and and but you're doing a really important job if you think about it. And uh, and there's some other role playing games where you can be like a, a tunnel warrior, where you or or a sewer warrior, uh, where you basically have to go down into the sewers and. And clean out all of the the goblins and and the the other uh, like the the dirt trolls perhaps that can show up um, mm-hmm. and and I really like the idea of of having like um, this this really uh, salt of the earth uh, dirty character who rises and becomes more or less a, a, a superhero or, or like. If it's more of a fantasy game, then then it becomes one of the people who saves the world. Uh, but but yeah, yeah I, I really like it when they when not everyone has to be like I'm the greatest crusader in the world or I'm the schemiest bishop or whatever it is. But it could also just be a guy with a shovel. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if if you want real world examples of the fact that you had some utterly corrupt. Uh, church people look no further than uh, Waldrick, the the bishop of the um, city of Leon. Uh, he, um, <clears throat> the the people of the the city of Leon, they created a commune, and uh, these uh, members of the commune they became so annoyed with how he acted that during Easter they changed chased him into the crypt of the Leon Cathedral and beat him to death. Which is, I mean, not only did they do it. At Easter, they did it in the actual cathedral. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, he must have been pretty impressively um, corrupt for them to uh, to do that. Yeah. Um, but but you you also have examples of of really pious people. So um, you you have someone like, for example, Sir Francis of Assisi. Mm. You have some of the uh, anchoresses 
Um, that's an interesting concept as well. Uh, an anchoress. Uh, it was usually women who got into that, basically getting bricked up yeah. um, next to a church and then sitting there and, and praying to God every day. So, yeah. Anyway, um, after this, we have a character creation example where they create the Ravnos signature character named Zoe from, uh, from Constantinople. And I don't know if you have anything to say about it. I don't really. No, no, not about that one. Uh, there's there's one thing that I, I just think uh, is uh, a bit weird when it comes to uh, to some of the... Or, or to a particular... Uh, what is it? It's a knowledge. It's... Uh, and and it, it when it comes to academics, they say that to to be able to have any dots in uh, in academics, you have to know Latin, uh, which kind of makes sense from f- from the fact that most things were written in Latin. But I think it's it's uh, a bit limiting that they limit it to just Latin because you could easily have it, or, or rather, if I were the storyteller, I would. Uh, expand on it a bit and say that you had to know like one uh, language like Greek or or uh, maybe Arabic, Hebrew. yeah, Hebrew, uh, and not just Latin because uh, yeah. there, there was so much knowledge and and stuff being written. Uh, like if you want to know um, ancient Egyptian and be like a real old character who who like yeah, I still have my library card from Alexandria. Uh, it, <laughs> it, you shouldn't be limited to. To just Latin. Uh, the, then again, if if you play a character that is focused on uh, on knowledges, then and academics, then you probably have at least a few dots in um, in linguistics linguistics as well. So you could have Latin as one of your languages. But it's just a small thing that don't don't limit your players or yourself to to just that one language. Yeah, it it shows that the focus is really on Christian Western Europe mm. because obviously, like you mentioned elsewhere, other languages would be the scholarly language, like Arabic in the Muslim world, Hebrew among Jews, a Greek if you wanted to read the books in the original Greek. And we are now getting into the part where where we have things like nature and demeanor, attributes and abilities. And there have been some rather big changes in in abilities. Um, both attributes and abilities, they have removed the description for having six dots, which I'm fine with. And you know, I think people can imagine what it's like to go into superhuman levels. You don't yeah. actually need to have a descriptor. Uh, specialities have changed specifically. Uh, you now buy them with bonus or experience points, and they add an additional die when, it, when they come into play. Uh, and you can have up to three per um, ability, so per uh, skill or talent or knowledge, but you can't have them for attributes. People who have played things like Aberrant and Adventure will probably recognize this because that's how it works in, um, or worked in in those systems back uh, in this time. The these systems have been um, have been redone, and I haven't seen how the new systems works. And then they've added fields of expertise where some abilities like crafts they have different areas that you have studied, so you get one free uh, and you can purchase more and they act like specializations in that you get an additional die but you're also limited to what you can do outside your field of expertise you don't have the same level of of knowledge outside that and finally some abilities have changed acting is gone replaced with expression larceny has become legend domain music has become performance <clears throat> and herbalism has been rolled into hearth wisdom and then we've gotten a new skill um, which is commerce and as you mentioned you have to have 
Latin to learn academics rather than in the previous edition, you got Latin for free with academics. And they've also done, done it so that linguistics now gives you more languages with more dots. Uh, I like the change to abilities themselves. It's, it streamlines it a bit more. And especially the addition of commerce makes a lot more sense and that you get more languages with linguistics because there are such a proliferation of language at this time. If we look at specialities, I kind of prefer that you get something out of rolling a 10. And I really like that, that attributes have specialities, but I do like that you can have more than one speciality in an ability. So I would say it's, I, I prefer the old way of doing things, but, but I don't think this is necessarily bad. And finally, as for fields of expertise, I do get the idea. I mean, forging a sword is quite different from building a barrel. I mean, hell, forging a sword is quite different from forging a helmet. Mm, but yeah. using a bow is a lot different from using a crossbow. And archery doesn't have fields of expertise. I can understand wanting to introduce some more granularity to the system, but I think it's a bit clunkily done. Yeah, well, I, I think... When it comes to to archery and, and using a crossbow and uh, or or a, a longbow, for example, I think that could actually fit under uh, specialities because there there are still some things that that are kind of the same or that you can have uh, a use for. Like for for example, when when I was small, I actually practiced archery for a few years. Uh, and I I had some use for it when I, I went into the military service. Uh, I, I actually had some use of it when learning how to fire a gun because it's some of the things like how you breathe and how you focus on the target and, and mm. things like that are actually the same. So I, I don't think that... And, and also from a simplistic uh, or a simplistic uh, simplicity point of view, I, I don't think that you really need to divide... Uh, archery that much i i see your point but i i think it's they they've just like okay archery yeah you you it's it's basically you have melee weapons and then you have range weapons that's that's basically yeah. it and and it's the same with with melee weapons that yeah there's there's a huge difference between using uh for example a a, a sword and a buckler and wielding a, a halberd uh, but but they're still kind of the same uh, hit other person with uh, evil stick uh, skill, uh, and I'm I'm kind of fine with it in in this kind of game. Um, I I guess you could probably make up more specialities if you wanted to, so you can you can have like an even more focused um, uh, character. Like if just decide that you can have. Uh, specialities for for the abilities as well so you could have like if you're uh, dexterity then you could have um, I don't know perfect aim or something like that which would yeah that's what we did when we played we basically said yeah uh, attributes have specialities mm. as well because we we liked them having that um, so you can always you can always um, modify the the system yeah. the way you want it it's just um, I, I was a bit sad to see them go in the, shall we say, official rule. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree that there's really no reason why you would have to get rid of them, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, you can always yeah. bring them back. Um, exactly. So one final note, 
about um, abilities is Brawl, uh, which is on page 144, where you you mentioned that that picture of the two... Barmaids in 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 uh, uh, beer fest clothing brawling. Um, it's quite clear that that uh, when they re- wrote this book, they um, didn't know quite how popular wrestling actually was in the Middle Ages. Because yeah. under brawl, it says possessed by brigands, bullies, soldiers. No, no, wrestling was so incredibly popular. Any knight would have learned wrestling. Yeah. Uh, a lot of um, of peasants actually practiced wrestling and it uh, on on market days and for tournaments uh, having common folk doing wrestling um, competitions was very very popular so uh, so I think you know if you want to be very very historically accurate uh, and nitpicky it should be that almost uh, every man uh, will will know some wrestling just because it was just such a popular pastime. Yeah, and uh, of course, when we're talking about wrestling, we we don't mean the the kind of WWE style. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wonder if they did have kind of show wrestling like that because they did like a good performance. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a very good point. And we have even even before uh, this uh, time period, we have, um, and it's still around in Iceland, but in in. Uh, the so-called Viking land, you have glima, which is a form of yeah. wrestling that is quite popular and is is practiced uh, still today in basically the same way as it was uh, in uh, back in the days. And uh, both of us are, are doing Hema and, and in that you have elements of wrestling. Uh, basically, when you get too close so that you can't swing your longsword properly, you, you need to start grappling uh, and wrestling yeah yeah grappling is a is a big part mm. of it and also a uh, hundred years from when this is set uh, you will start to see uh, in Germany wrestling systems being written mm. down it's called ringen uh, which becomes developed alongside things like long sword fighting sword and buckler stuff like that yeah. so wrestling was very very popular mm. what you don't see is the kind of striking types of unarmed martial arts simply because weapons were so abundant and allowable that you didn't have any reason to develop that sure you'd punch some people in a a drunken brawl or if you like you said in in a sword fight end up being nose to nose then yeah you're going to give someone an elbow in the face in order to get an advantage but you didn't have the same level of development that you had with with wrestling yeah I'm. I'm just gonna, just because we ended up on this page again. I'm. I'm just gonna <laughs> point out a few more things that that I realized I really didn't like with the picture, and it's uh, first of all, you like like you mentioned, it's it's a uh, probably uh, some kind of barmaids brawling in a bar, uh, because you have some some bottles standing around and. Uh, those bottles seem to have very modern bottle caps and labels, <laughs> printed labels. We don't know that they're printed, but they're actually labels on it. Uh, you have one big, uh, yeah, that could be some kind of, of pottery, uh, pottery jug, but it doesn't really look like, uh, well, it's not that bad. But then you have a very modern looking glass wine glass that you could probably find at Ikea today if you look really <laughs> and uh, and actually glass glassware were still quite expensive because and, and oh, especially yes. if it was clear 
because making clear glass without any kind of, of uh, pollutions or uh, or um, stuff in it uh, was was still very expensive and hard to get. So uh, if nothing else, those barmaids are going to be in debt in, if they break <laughs> all of that glassware and and they're going to end up have, having to pay for it. So. Uh, yeah, if you if you take a look at both the background and what what they're wearing, it's D and D, it's fantasy. Yeah, it's yeah. it's two it's two fantasy barmaids having a punch up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, next is backgrounds, and there are two changes here. The first is the addition of domain as a background, which I approve of. Sadly, in the description there is no monastery option, <laughs> but they do mention a church, so we almost get uh, <laughs> get our vampires yeah. and monasteries here. But obviously, a monastery would be a perfect example of something you could get with with a domain background. Yeah, um, I, I do like the other examples that they mentioned specifically um, a a pier uh, and an adjacent warehouse or a bridge and a ford as yeah. as important places. Uh, because bridges were really expensive to build. Uh, a lot of the bridges in this time, uh, at least in some parts of, of Europe, were probably uh, built by the Romans, actually, and then yeah. they just stuck around because they were so well built. Uh, but if you control a bridge, uh, you can probably control which way uh, commerce and, and traffic and travelers have to go so it was quite often that that you had to pay a toll at bridges uh, so that's that's a really nice touch that that they included that one yeah exactly and they also mentioned that one of the things you could be controlling was a city ghetto and while the word ghetto didn't exist yet the concept of mm. ghettos most certainly did and in most of europe that would have been you know the jewish ghetto in places where you had enough Jews and for example in in a city like Rhone which had I think it was about 6,000 Jews living in it in the middle of the 13th century mm. having that as your domain would have been quite um, a power source and a source of of income um, the next option that they have is pooling backgrounds letting a Kateri share their dots to get higher levels though obviously they will then also have to share access to these backgrounds. It's slightly reminiscent of the totem background from Werewolf, for yeah, those of you yeah. who know Werewolf. And they just expanded it, and I think it's a good tool to unite a group into a criteria like, yes, we all have this rather large area as our domain. It's an area that's so big that a single neonate could not hold it alone, but we have united because the power, the prestige, the wealth, the blood that having this area gives us is enough that we're united. And because we hold this area, we then also have some contacts and we have some resources, we have some herd, stuff like that. So it's it's a great way, I think, to reinforce the whole Kateri um Yeah, we're we're in this uh, together. Thing. Yeah. I yeah, I really like that. And and especially if uh it it's a good way for if if you just do beginner characters with with no extra freebie points or anything like that, then it's a good way to actually uh, get a head start, so to speak, so that you're not limited to uh, to to playing well, not necessarily weak characters, but but let's say you have you have a, a an interesting concept for a character, and it relies on you having for like if you want to play the kind of 
spy master kind of character, for example, or the guy who knows everyone, then you would probably mm. want a lot of, of uh, contacts and and perhaps allies and retainers and, and stuff like that. But since you probably don't have enough points uh, to, to waste, or not waste, but to put in all of those, if you can pool together with some of your friends, then then you can solve that problem, and and it opens up for some uh, for some more interesting concepts, uh, character concepts that you can actually play. So that's yeah, I really like it. Uh, I'm I'm guessing that you could probably use it as an optional rule if uh, the storyteller uh, for some reason decides against it. I don't see why, but exactly. but again, it's uh, it's an option. Yeah, and. Um Interestingly, the very first book that I worked on for Dark Ages Vampire it was a book that focused very much on this idea of pooling backgrounds. Mm. So it's going to be interesting when we get to that. Uh, we end the chapter with various stuff that should be recognizable for all like virtues, road, willpower, blood pool and so on, with the very last being experience and maturation. Uh, I've always thought it a bit weird to put experience in this chapter, but I realized that this is not just a chapter about character creation. It's everything regarding the character, which obviously include growth. So from that point of view, it makes sense to have experience here. Maturation points is a new mechanic, and it's related to the idea of long downtimes, which is something that can easily happen in a game of Dark Ages Vampire, especially if you want to go for the whole playing through the ages, which I think is an awesome thing to do in uh, in dark ages personally though i prefer just giving out experience points because we already have bonus points in character creation which work separately from experience points and i don't really think we need yet another <laughs> type of points to worry about yeah i yeah i i do like the idea of, of uh, maturation points uh and and i think the idea is kind of to to differentiate uh, or maybe from from experience points like Experience points is something you earn while you play, uh, and and maturation points is something you get when when your character isn't really doing anything else. But but yeah, I I do get your point that it's 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 a bit weird uh, having all of them, and and you you get questions like, well, can I use uh, three maturation points and one experience points to ah, like? Yes. So so yeah, it, it can be a bit fiddly, but uh, but I I agree that. Uh, it might not be necessary, but but yeah. I hadn't actually thought about it from your point of view. With with yeah, experience points is something you earn for doing things, and maturation point points just come with with age. So that's that's another um, way to to look mm. at it. That when you look at it from that point, yeah, maybe maybe it does it does make sense. Um, but it's again, it's it's up to uh, to the individual storyteller how they they want to handle it. Uh, another thing that I I just don't remember if it's new or not from this, uh, and that's the uh, road aura that you get. That uh, oh yes 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 I I, I completely forgot to because that's yeah, that's new I, for this edition, right? That is completely yeah. new. This was the first time road aura, um, but uh, was was. Um, I think the reason why I completely forgot about this, I don't think in the games that we've played, we've ever had anyone with a high or low enough road score for it to actually come into play. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the basic idea is, is high, high or low road score is, is going to affect certain roles, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and, and it uh, exactly. And, and it shows up when you're using all specs 2, or it can show up when you're using all specs oh. 2, I think, as well. 
but again, it's like you mentioned that it's it's probably not going to show up that often. And and we talked about it briefly in the previous uh, episode that it's like, what do they want to do with roads, and and does it really does it really matter actually, or or is it just something that they like how is it supposed to be be used uh, and i'm i'm still a bit on the fence on that one but since i haven't actually played it i can't say either way yeah i think we can we can get into it more when we get to the road books mm. because because every every one of the five um, major roads gets their own book and i think we're going to get into some interesting discussions concerning road and and religion and philosophy once we get to those so uh, i'm actually looking forward to that because i think it's going to be rather interesting yeah um, so we move on to chapter six, and that is what we're all here for, disciplines. <laughs> Let's get into the supernatural powers, because that is yeah. the main reason why we're playing this. Superheroes with fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but first of all, or before we come into this chapter, we, we yeah. have one of those other um, uh, in-character stories. And I really oh, like yeah. this one. Uh, it's, it's basically about, I'm assuming, a, a German peasant who is... Um, recruited perhaps press gang but basically he uh, he's been taking with his family to to settle the new lands that the Teutonic order had uh, conquered in um, somewhere in in Prussia or or the Baltics or uh, kind of Eastern Europe uh, and he uh, is kind of like yeah I'll, perhaps this is a, this isn't what I wanted to but it's is still a really nice, pretty uh, area with with uh, some wonderful forests and and beautiful vistas and everything. Uh, and then it gets eaten by a, a gangrel. Uh, but <laughs> the way it is written, I, I really like it. It's um, it, it, the mood is perfect, and uh, it reminded me of one of those uh, kind of interludes that Neil Gaiman has in his book American Gods where uh, oh, where you shift yes. focus from the main story and just uh, it's a short little uh, interlude of of just some random god or deity or or uh, creature finding its way to to the new lands and and how they deal with it and I get got a very similar feeling uh, when I read this one so I, I really liked it uh, and on another also kind of like an interesting detail is that the illustration for it is what I assume is uh, a gangrel uh, sitting hunched over, uh, dressed in nothing but uh, sideburns and fur. Uh, and he's holding a Viking sword. He's, he's holding a Viking sword, uh, which, which uh, um, it looks like it's single-edged. And there, there has actually been like a couple of single-edged Viking swords that has been found uh, so it's uh, it's not actually uh, implausible that uh, that they had it. So that's that's also a nice touch. Yeah, I don't know runes well enough to actually read what's written on the sword. Uh, it also depends on whether it's it's old or new. Yeah, food, right? I, but I think uh, it if... might be supposed to say Fendris, which is kind of stereotypical. But uh, <laughs> oh, good. Lord. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, all of the illustrations on the um, on these. Um, um, between chapter stories are supposed to be the signature mm. characters and I can't remember what the, the signature gangrel character actually is for Dark Ages but if memory serves I think it's supposed to be actually uh, Ajav 
the uh, the the gangrel from wind from the east, the Mongol gangrel. Mm. But don't quote me on it. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure oh, cool. uh, yeah. about that. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It uh, the 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 um, single-edged Viking sword, and if you look at both the uh, the guard and the pommel, it does resemble uh, something that could be from the Viking age. So it it, it looks really good. Um, but yeah, with the with the disciplines. Um, we don't have time to go through all of them, <laughs> yeah. so I'm just going to make a few mentions. Uh, the first is that uh, is one that I really, really like, and that is the addition of a th- thaumaturgical path called Transitus Velocitor, my Latin is crap, mm. uh, which is designed for fast travel, and the more dots you have, the larger a group you can take with you. With good enough successes, you can really move like as fast as, say, a modern-day train or car. And given the normal travel times in the Middle Ages, this path is actually a lot more powerful than it might seem. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it shows a really good understanding of, of both travel times in the Middle Ages and how important it could be. Just imagine being able to travel from big city to big city in one night. It, it really cuts down on the difficulties of having to find shelter out in the middle of nowhere and everything if you can just go from one major city to another major city overnight. So so yeah. this one, it yeah, you're not going to be boiling your enemy's blood or taking control of their thoughts. But what you are going to do is, for example, get messages move really quickly, get various goods move really quickly, or if you're fleeing from someone or chasing someone, you're going to be moving a lot faster than your opposition. So uh, this is this is a path that, that I really, really like because it integrates so well with the setting. Yeah, and you, like, you, you only need to move one person if that person is a really skilled assassin, for example. So you, you, that's... Uh, I, I hadn't really looked at it. I would, didn't uh, didn't we have something similar in one of the books for the for the previous edition? Uh, I think it showed up in either one of the Libella Sanguinis books or possibly the, the House of Tremere book or something like that. Mm. I think that you you're right that it might have shown up there, and then they just made it part of the core book. Yeah. I assume because it just makes so much sense for the Tremere to have developed this kind of, of path. Yeah, uh, but it's it's really useful. Uh, yeah, I, I do have some some other uh, ones that I would like, but but yeah, that's that's as you mentioned, it's a it's a really good one because we're we're actually talking about uh, a lot of stuff that you can bring. So it's it's not just you or you start out with basically you and or your coterie. Uh, but then at, at higher levels, uh, we we can basically bring a lot of stuff with us. Uh, you can bring a whole trading caravan. Yeah. Um, so the, the next thing that uh, was changed is celerity. Uh, I actually missed this when we did the original Vampire, the Dark Ages. But even back then, they changed celerity so that it's not one blood point to activate full celerity like it was in second edition mm. Vampire the Masquerade, so the modern uh, Knight's book. It's one blood per action, but this, uh, with this blood being allowed to go over the normal restrictions on how much blood you can spend in a turn based on de- generation. Um, and and I completely missed that in the original book. I thought it was just like in second edition, but uh, but no. Um, and here they have that as well, but they also added the additional limitation that these extra actions come 
after all other actions have been taken in a turn. And it's clear that they've realized just how overpowered celerity was in combat, and they've tried to limit it, but I'm not a big fan of going outside the scope of generation when it comes to, to spending blood. Um, I think they managed to nail it in the revised edition, which obviously we'll get to after this, which managed, I think, to balance all three physical disciplines pretty well. And here I just think the whole thing, well, oh, you have to spend one blood point per action, but you can spend... Uh, how in, however many blood points you uh, you want yeah. up to your celerity, even though you don't have the generation for it, it's why 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 does generation limit everything else but but, but celerity? celerity? That's just a you're bit just weird. that fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, apparently so. Yeah, but it's, yeah. It's, it, I, I can understand them wanting to limit it, yeah. but I think this was was not the right solution. Yeah, but yeah, and and I see your point, and and I think it's it's probably a, a way to try to balance it because, as you mentioned, it if you can. If you can spend one blood point to get five extra actions yeah. in a turn, then then you're just going to be a combat monster, especially if you're a brew. And it gender. slows down combat so yeah, much. Yeah, and and especially if you're a brewer, so you have potence, which gives you automatic su successes on strength uh, tests. Uh, but at the same time, unless you're what, what you need, you need to be like generation nine or or eight to be able to spend more than one one blood point per turn so if if you're not that high then there is never going to be a reason for you to buy more than one dot of celerity uh, so I, I think it's trying to balance it uh, while at the same time making it useful uh, to actually have more yeah. than one dot but but yeah i agree that it's a bit problematic um so yeah, we'll just have to wait and see until uh, until the next uh, edition and see how they solved it. Yeah. So f uh, the last thing that I want to mention about the disciplines is that they've changed Mortis to be its own blood magic, like the Matigy, but with its own paths and rituals. Um, and necromancy simple, simply being a path created by the Giovanni. Uh, and as I mentioned in the side quest when we talked about how I would how I would do a new edition of Dark Ages, I don't like this. I don't like the proliferation of blood magic, even if this is separate from thematogy. And especially in the revised edition, uh, some of the paths come very close to being able to do what the Giovanni were specifically embraced for doing, which is communicating with and manipulating ghosts. I preferred Mortis as its own discipline. You could perhaps, if you wanted to, take inspiration from Abyss Mysticism, Obtenebration, uh, and add the possibility of rituals that's a whole nother discussion but i would i would have mortis as its own discipline and then necromancy as a totally new type of blood magic which is taking everyone by surprise and it's like oh so yeah, that's why yeah. you embraced the giovanni um but that's just my personal take on it. it's just that i think it, it waters down the giovanni a little bit and they are one of my my favorite clans but what what comments do you have on the disciplines on the disciplines well i'm uh, first of all i'm i'm gonna stick to my guns and say that Malkavans would dominate uh, our steel scary <laughs> if they have dementation. Uh, I, I dementation is still kind of an interesting um, discipline and, and you can do some really messed up stuff with it. Uh, but overall I I still think that um, it's more of a role playing thing than, than anything else that that because dementation is 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 only and I do this with huge imaginary quotation marks around it. It's it's it only deals with kind of insanity and and your feelings and stuff like that. But 
but with dominate you can you can do so much more you can control people uh in in a more direct way uh and in a more focused way that i think can if if you play it if you role play it correctly it can be a lot scarier for uh when it's used by a Malkavian, because of course, yeah, uh, an Alessandra or a Ventro, of course, they're gonna use Dominate to boss people around and, and tell you what to do. Uh, but if, but you can probably tell what they are going to order you, like polish my shoes or give me all your money or whatever. <laughs> but when it's it's a madman, you don't really know what they're going to do or why they're doing it. So that's that adds kind of an extra layer of, of just creepiness to everything. Um, so, but but yeah, that said, both both disciplines work uh, fine, I think. But it, I guess it's a matter of personal preference. Um, you know what? Once once this we finish recording this episode, I'm going to make a poll in the Facebook mm. group what people prefer. Malkavians with dominate or Malkavians with demitation yes. just to see what what people prefer because I think there's a lot of people who feel like you do that that they are better with dominate and I think that there's also quite a few people who uh, like me think that demitation is is pretty cool so it's it's going to be interesting to uh, to see what happens but you know just because I prefer them with the uh, with yeah. demitation doesn't mean that that I can't see your point yeah. with, with the yeah, dominate because absolutely. a madman who can control your mind. That's freaking scary. Yeah, and and you can always do it like you have with with some, um, for example, the the Asamites who have depending on if you're a vizier or if you're a warrior, you can have different clan disciplines. So you can perhaps you can do it like that. That some uh, some Malkavians have dominate and some of the others have have dementation. Uh, but yeah, the, um, uh, the the next one I would like to talk about is is potence, and we mentioned it briefly that you get automatic successes. Uh, which means that uh, in combat, if you have uh, uh, if you have potence, you're gonna kick some literal ass. Um, oh God, yeah. Which in in a way I can see uh, why they did it like that uh, because it's it's no fun uh, putting a, a bunch of dots in a discipline that might not work and and also. Uh, like if if you have lots of potence then then you're gonna have to roll a lot of dice and that might again slow down combat and everything like that on the other hand it can be really really fun to load to roll a bunch of dice uh so yeah. so it's it's a matter of preference uh and yeah i i don't know if if it's overpowered or not i think there are, are ways to to get around it um but the, the the physical discipline that I actually have the most uh, problem with in as it is written right now is fortitude, uh, because fortitude allows you with just one dot of fortitude to use your whole uh, soak pool that is stamina plus fortitude uh, to soak aggravate aggravated damage, which yes. which means yes. that unless you actually have a maxed out stamina there's no point in getting more than a single dot of, of fortitude and since it's cheaper to uh, raise your stamina than it is to raise your uh, your fortitude 
then then you're gonna have a lot of vampires who who have a really high stamina and just a single lot of fortitude and they can be equally good to someone who has a low stamina and but more dots in fortitude which i just think is it's a bit weird yeah and it, it really front loads fortitude a mm. lot and it becomes sort of like um just about everyone is going to go yeah i just want the first dot of, of fortitude i i know it's an out of clan discipline but as long as i just have that one dot then i can i can soak aggravated yeah. um and once again i think they handle it both um, potence and fortitude better in revised edition. So once we get to that, uh, we can we can talk about how they've um, how they've handled that because I think they do a much better job of, of balancing mm. the physicals. Though yeah. this this really does highlight how how nice it is to have fortitude because if you ever come across aggravated damage, having fortitude is a really good idea. It's mm. like in in our group we 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 tend to say auspex and fortitude are the survival disciplines. Okay. Those are the ones you want if you want to be able to survive. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, and, and yeah, especially since there there are actually quite a few um, uh, few ways to get aggravated damage in, uh, in, in Vampire. Of course, everyone can have their fangs, but you also have the, uh, the claws from Protein 2, and you also have, I think it's also uh, Serpentis 2, yeah, where you have the tongue, yeah, tongue, the tongue. of the asp. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, and obviously uh, thematically, yeah. and if you're brave enough, you can wield uh, a, a torch mm. as a weapon. Uh, you just need enough courage to do it. So there are there are some options. Um, for that matter, just if you know where a, a vampire's lair is, you can assault it during the day. So uh, so having having aspects to know that it's coming and fortitude to resist it if you can't get away, it's just nice. It's really yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, it's I uh, it, it I think everyone has their like favorite three disciplines that they would would want to have, and I I know that for example for my wife, auspex and fortitude would always be uh, be two of them. Whereas for me, uh, I I really like having presence. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I have a difficult time narrowing it down to. Uh, to just the the three, but I I agree <laughs> that that auspics and um, and and fortitude are some really good ones. Presence I I think it's a bit more situational uh, than for example dominate. So I think I, I prefer uh, dominate uh, instead of presence. Presence it's also really cool, um, and I I think it's interesting that. Uh, when you talk about role playing, um, you you often talk about the, the three pillars of, of role playing. So you have social interaction, exploration, and combat. Uh, and yeah. most of the clans have one discipline from each of those pillars. So, um, so for example, uh, if if we take uh, the Toreador who has auspex uh, presence and celerity, you, celerity you yeah. can obviously use. Uh, for a lot of things, but mostly combat, and then you have presence, which is the social pillar. And if you need to find the the hidden secret door or whatever, uh, it's not a very good secret door if it's not hidden. I just realized, uh, <laughs> but but then then you can use aspects to find it. And and so I think that if you would uh, like like if you would get your own uh, three disciplines to to cover one of each, I would probably take. 
uh, all specs, fortitude, and dominate uh, as as my three to cover all of those pillars. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's. Um, I mean, for me, if there there isn't one clan that that hits mm. perfect my discipline spread, but uh, I would say Toriador probably comes comes closest to it, it and and it is one of my. Uh, my favorite clans, but we're getting we're getting a bit sidetracked <laughs> yeah. here. But I mean, if if people have have listened to the first season of this, they know that sidetracking does happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, more more about disciplines. Uh, no, from, from I, I don't I, think I've, I've, I've said my I piece. Had anything? Uh, it's yeah. It, again, fortitude is just weird, uh, especially since you, you every vampire has a way of dealing aggravated damage, but. Only a few of them have a way of, uh, of of soaking it, so that makes fortitude really, really useful. Especially as you mentioned, it's it's front uh, front loaded. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, but that's that's about it for me actually. So uh, yeah. yeah. So with that, uh, we're done with the middle three chapters of this book. There wasn't much history. It was mainly the thinking medieval setting and the suggested templates. But I think they did a very good job with very, very little in the way of word count, actually. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, again, it's those small touches that we mentioned, like in the domain background, that uh, that you could have a church. And, and because that shows the kind of influence the church uh, has on on uh, mortal society and also canine society uh, and and also that that you they talk about bridges being important uh, just just those small things uh, really did a lot uh, in my opinion yeah um, as for the rest for uh, a section on character creation uh, I think it was well done, well laid out and organized and uh, quite useful, not only for players, but also for storytellers making NPCs. Um, I've been making quite a few NPCs for books that I'm working on for the uh, Storytellers Vault, and obviously I'm using the revised edition, but that has the same kind of, of layout. And you have this two-page spread, which is basically going through character creation um, yeah, the, the, the cheat step. sheet. Yeah, that's that's really useful. Yeah, exactly. And that cheat sheet is just it is golden for when you're making NPCs mm -hmm. because it just quickly allows you to run through what's uh, what's all the uh, the attributes and oh yeah and what's all the background stuff like that. So not not only for um, for players but also for storytellers. This is uh, this is really well done and uh, I mean also. I mentioned uh, I mentioned it the, the 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 way it's laid out and organized and edited. I think it does a great job guiding you through character creation. Uh, but beyond that, you know, and what I already said, I I don't really have much to add. No, and and I agree. Uh, I like the fact that they focus so much on on cooperation and that they allow you to pool uh, certain resources or certain backgrounds uh, rather uh, and and. It's it's quite easy to to create a character just just from that, and again that the they have the kind of cheat sheet, uh, so that you can just bookmark it and go back to it. So yeah, how did I do it? Um, and I also I didn't mention it, but they have uh, the examples on, uh, for example, if you uh, if you choose to spend. Um, a lot of points on on certain uh, abilities. 
then it, it kind of gives you example on what that kind of character would look like or behavior yeah. act or, or whatever. So that's that's a nice touch as well. So uh, from that perspective, it's probably one of the better kind of character creation uh, chapters in, in any systems I've read, actually. Mm. So... Uh, because I messed up our first recording of episode one, you'll have to wait until after Christmas for the last episode of the core book. I hope people can uh, can wait that long. Over Christmas, we're probably also going to talk about some side quests and get that up and running in the new year. And with that, Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Nope, uh, but as usual, I would just like to thank all our listeners and our patrons who, I don't know if you can actually tell, but I'm hoping that uh, I'm a bit clearer now because I've finally managed to buy a proper uh, microphone, which uh, is actually due to our patrons. So thanks to all of you who made us possible. Um, and thanks to all our other listeners as well. We really like you, uh, all of you. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, and I hope all of you have a very good Christmas. And so, it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell, and see you next time. Bye!